Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Professor Steve Bolson, it uh, gives me great pleasure to introduce you as, though you don't really need an introduction, mm-hmm. but you're a specialist anaesthetist and special medical advisor to St John of God in Geelong. Uh, my name's Sumit, I work in Oxford. Um, so I'd just like to start really by, uh, if you could just tell us why you think clinical governance is important in the modern NHS. Um, I think clinical governance is um, a concept that was coined after um, the Bristol scandal and it was essentially to curtail the perceived clinical freedom that some surgeons and probably some physicians felt that they had um, in the way in which they were managing their patients. Um, I think specifically in Bristol, one of the particularly unethical aspects of the management of the children was that um, the operations were used as practice to perfect techniques and that um, information was never shared with the patients or obviously all with their parents and so um, it became much less acceptable for operations to be scheduled without full informed consent and without some understanding of the risk, even if it was a high risk, of the procedure that was going to be carried out. Okay, and do you think um, going forward that clinical governance has, has gained a global reputation for improvements in quality and safety? Well, certainly, yes. The um, in Australia, where I work, clinical governance has become a huge driver for improvements in quality, um, often led by specialist associations or the professional colleges, um, but it is part of um, a movement towards improving the quality of services across Europe and also across America as well. And I think um, clinical governance structures and clinical governance committees are now um, an integral part of most healthcare and probably social care providers across the world. And how important do you think Bristol was in in clinical governance? I'm sure it was um, absolutely pivotal. Um, I think that if you look at the um, emergence of clinical governance as a topic in, for example, medical publications, if you go through PubMed, there were no um, clinical governance papers prior to 1998. And 1998 was the year um, that the GMC um, adjudicated on the three doctors who'd been involved in Bristol. So clinical governance was proposed as the mechanism for making sure that no more Bristols happened. And, and moving on from that, do you, do you get a sense that the lessons have been, have been taken on board worldwide by medical administrators, by management? I think so. I think that um, there's a lot of um, emphasis placed on clinical governance. Uh, and I think that if it's done well, then there's no doubt that it will improve the quality of care and I suspect probably save lives. I think that if you just pay lip service to clinical governance, then you can um, arise, arrive at a situation um, where the clinicians still feel free to do what they want to, but under the 
the guise of poorly implemented clinical governance. So I think clinical governance has to be well implemented, um, but if it's done um, rigorously um, and often with patient involvement, um, then I think it can contribute enormously to quality in healthcare. Um, and c- can you think of any potential savings for health systems in addressing sort of safety and risk issues? Yeah, I think that um, the work of Steve Crammon um, and the um, uh, the trial of open disclosure um, that they carried out um, has demonstrated that there are enormous year-on-year savings for um, uh, for organisations that are open and honest with their patients. And I think that the more we improve quality, then the more we are likely to uh, reduce the cost of the adverse events that occur. And we know that the estimated cost um, nearly 20 years ago was 17 to 29 billion in the US. And it's thought to be about 2% of the healthcare budget is spent on putting things right that shouldn't have gone wrong in the first place. And I think if you can imagine the 2% um, in terms of year-on-year savings, then that's actually quite a large amount of money that you can plough back into healthcare. Sure. Um, and just moving, focus slightly more onto the, the topic of medical ethics, because that's kind of what we're talking about here. How important are ethics in, in sort of helping professionals deal with quality and safety? Um, my feeling is that they should be um, underpinning all of the uh, work and approaches to quality and safety in healthcare. I think that if you start with the correct ethical principles, um, Uh, then you will end up with a much safer and a much higher quality service. Um, And it's only when you don't have the correct ethics that you see um, organisations drifting in terms of the quality that they're providing and in terms of the um, safety of the services that they're providing. And I think that was, for me, um, one of the principal features that I observed in Bristol was that we hadn't got our ethics right and as a result we actually had a lot of unnecessary deaths and we had a very poor quality service. And, and do you think that we, we have, we're in a better place than we were when you first voiced these concerns that, that the term whistleblowing has become common parlance now but I think there's still a lot of uh, concern about people that may feel that they have concerns to voice. Do, do you sort of have a view on, on that? Um, I think that you have to listen to people who are expressing concerns about the quality of a service. Um, sometimes they may just be seeing the wrong bit of it. They may just be um, seeing something that is... Um, uh, it would have happened anyway, it was a difficult case and that's why there were complications. Um, but sometimes they have real concerns that need to be looked into. And I think that for me, um, the role of the healthcare organisation and certainly the safety and quality branches of those organisations is to inquire into um, uh, whistleblowers and to inquire into concerns about the quality of service and make sure that um, they are 
investigated and, um, and, and, the, and that they can rule out the possibility that the service is below standard. So for me, whistleblowers actually play an important role in maintaining the standard and the quality of healthcare. My vision would be that every healthcare professional is in a position where they can collect data on their performance, and, and that would be nurses and physios and um, as well as doctors, and they would be continuously getting feedback on their performance relative to um, some kind of normalised um, performance uh, measurement. And as soon as um, their performance begins to deteriorate, then they would seek help to optimise their performance again. Um, and uh, therefore they become actually um, people who blow the whistle on themselves. And the reason people don't blow the whistle on themselves and improve the quality of their services is because they don't have the data. So again, performance data is crucial to that, but the collection of performance data for me is driven by an ethical imperative rather than um, just by a we need more data imperative. Okay, um, and we, we've all learnt an awful lot from this whole process and it's obviously, it's been a huge impact on yourself and your career and, and looking back, uh, faced with the same situation again, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but you would do the same thing again. Um, I think I would, yes. Yeah. I think that the the reason um, I would, although um, I would have to emphasise that it was at huge cost to my family and myself, um, but um, I would have to because um, this was not just um, about the length of time children were staying in hospital. It was not just about the size of their scars or the duration of the operations. It was actually about children dying unnecessarily. And I think that under any, um, any professional or ethical code, we're obliged as healthcare professionals to stop people dying unnecessarily. And that's what I tried to do in Bristol. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honour for us to have you speaking. Oh, and thank thank you. you for your time. Very nice to meet you. No, no, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.